This is the Horse Radio Network. You're listening to the Athletic Equestrian Riding in College podcast. I'm your podcast host, Sally Batten, and I spent over 35 years coaching collegiate equestrian teams. Want to ride like a varsity athlete? Sally Batten's book, The Athletic Equestrian, is now available to order. Whether competing in the show ring or riding at home on the trail, every rider wants to be more secure and balanced in the saddle and effective with their aids. This innovative guide uses highly effective exercises honed over Coach Sally's 35-year coaching career to develop your athleticism on horseback. This proven rider training system will sharpen position and vastly improve your skills in the saddle. Order now at www.athleticequestrian.com. Welcome back to all of our listeners to the Athletic Equestrian Riding in College podcast. I've been interviewing for over a year now, collegiate coaches and riders and organizations and affiliated people and organizations. And that is our guest today. I'd like to introduce Allie Hartman, who is a doctor of physical therapy with a deep-rooted passion for equestrian sport. As the managing partner of Proactivity North Carolina and founder of ECFIT, a brand dedicated to health, fitness, and performance for equestrian athletes, Allie enjoys merging her passion for stronger, happier people through better health with the needs she sees in the equestrian community. Allie is a longtime member and competitor in the AQHA, which is the American Quarter Horse Association, a group I haven't spoken to yet that I need to, and continued her passion for competing in college on the University of South Carolina's Division I women's equestrian team where she competed in horsemanship. Following undergrad, Allie went on to get her doctorate of physical therapy from Winston's Winston-Salem State University. Since then, Allie has worked as a partner with Proactivity and worked to create ECFIT, where she can combine two of her favorite things, horses and helping people to be stronger, healthier, happier versions of themselves. She loves working with riders to help them improve their performance in and out of the saddle. So welcome, Allie. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here. So let's I think for you to talk about ECFIT and where you are today, I really think that we need to talk about how it all started. So talk about where you grew up, how you started riding, um, a little bit about your college search, because I always like to ask that if my guest uh, rode in college, and then we'll get to, to what you're all about today. Sure. Yeah. So uh, it sort of started, I feel like most uh, people that don't have parents that are in the industry do my, my mom thought it would be cute. If I got horseback riding lessons when I was six, she had grown up with, um, wait, 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 you didn't ask. She just thought it would be cute. <laughs> she thought it would be cute. She's like, Oh, this will be cute. You know, horses, I love it. this will just be a little phase. And she had grown up trail riding and she had had horses here and there growing up. So it was something okay. that she loved to do from a recreation standpoint, hadn't done it since she was a kid. 
and okay. thought, oh, what a what a cute thing this will be. Okay. And, um, you know, it was like one of those things where it just immediately stuck almost, you know, going through. I started when I was six and very quickly thereafter, almost every other activity that I had start tried to gravitate towards just fell by the wayside because and where uh, went. Where was this? This uh, Tuckerton, New Jersey, a okay. small town in South Jersey. Okay. Okay. So other activities you had tried and what? Yeah. And so um, things just started to fall by the wayside. My whole world quickly went from, okay, yeah, we'll get one lesson a week um, and quickly kind of evolved into, okay, we're going to part-time lease a little pony and then um, quickly evolved to full-time lease. And then before you know it, I was wanting to do nothing else, but live and be at the barn and help with the barn chores. And, um, and so by the time I was eight, it was pretty much my whole world was horses. I uh, would go to the barn in the morning and not leave until the end of the day. And um, I started out really doing more, uh, going more the the um, kind of backyard hunter shows. I had a little pony um, and then graduated up to a little bigger pony. And I really thought that that was the route that I would want to go. And um, the barn that I grew up riding at, um, the daughter of the owner of the barn got, ended up getting into quarter horses. And so I had looked up to her so much and um, and so when she got into quarter horses, all of a sudden, that's what I kind of wanted to do. So um, I went with them to the All-American Quarter Horse Congress one year, and I just thought it was like the craziest thing I'd ever seen. And right. that became sort of my route into quarter horses. So um, we got my first quarter horse when I was 11, and um, I grew up um, riding, competing, you know, starting in South Jersey and then spanning out to competing throughout the region and then eventually throughout the country um, and did that all through high school. And then um, probably when I was 16, it really, you know, I feel like it's so much more prevalent now. There's so much more awareness around collegiate equestrian and all the different avenues of collegiate equestrian. But at the time, I don't really think I had an awareness that it was a thing that, that um, really existed until I was about 16. And um, I was introduced to it at the time. I wasn't convinced if I wanted to ride in college or not. I was kind of deciding, do I just want to be a normal kid for a while? This has sort of been my entire life up to this right. point. Right. Um, but I was fortunate enough to um, get recruited by the University of South Carolina. I went on a visit and just the school and, and meeting the girls on the team. It was like, I just knew that um, this is what I was supposed to do. And so that's how I uh, so ended you, up there. You were showing on the national level at AQHA shows. And that's how they saw you. Yes, okay. exactly. Um, at the time we were, a group of us were joking at the time it was still, you know, like DVDs were a thing. So we, you know, there was, um, I was competing at a national level. And so that was one piece. And then the other pieces you'd put together these DVDs, right. And right. you put, get the stickers with your picture on it and put it on the DVD and send it to all the coaches of the schools yeah. you're interested in. So oh, oh, it was yeah. a combination. I, went, I looked at many of those through the years. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. now it's so funny. It's like, what, where did all those DVDs go to die? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was kind of my journey, um, growing up and then how it led me, um, to where I ended up for school. So then you competed on uh, uh, the NCEA team. 
And then how did you know that you wanted to go into personal fitness? uh, I had no idea. Okay. I had no idea. So what happened while I was in school, um, I went in undecided. I had no clue what I wanted to do. I liked a lot of stuff, but just didn't. um, I was very into theater in high school. That was like, I was horse girl and theater girl. um, And I didn't, I was passionate about theater, but I didn't see how it would fit like a future life. It, it wasn't congruent with what I envisioned for my life. So I was just stuck in this place of if I'm not going to do theater, I don't really know what else I'm going to do. So I went to school undecided. And um, in my first year being on the team, and it was really the first time, like I, I talk a lot about this transformation I had of actually for the first time in my life, I viewed myself as an athlete because I was being talked to like an athlete. I was being treated like a student athlete. I was being expected to exercise like a student athlete. I was, you know, learning about my nutrition and all these things. And, um, it was so transformative for my, um, riding. And all of a sudden I was a better rider. I was stronger in the saddle. I was mentally tougher. Um, and it really, for me was this like transformation of realizing how much that mindset that I didn't have when I was in high school. Cause I felt like I was, you know, I had friends that were athletes, but they were the people on the lacrosse team or the basketball team, not what I identified as. And once I identified as that and started treating my mind and my body and just, um, my mindset as such, I felt like I was sort of transformed. And so in that process, I became really interested in health and fitness and performance and the human body. And so it was really one of my roommates, um, who was on the team with me as well. I was getting to the end of the rope where they're like, you got to pick a major or you're going to be here forever. And she's like, well, you love exercise. Why not exercise science? And so it seemed like a good enough, um, idea at the time. And then as I got further and further through that, it was kind of like, okay, well, something has to be next. Cause it's hard to just get a career in exercise science. And so that's when I went down um, the path of physical therapy and, um, yeah. And so that's kind of how I ended up making that transition. So did you ride when you were in grad school too? Um, I did not. So once, once I, uh, graduated from South Carolina, I moved back to, I got married, um, shortly after and I moved, my husband's a horse trainer. So, um, I moved to where he's from and and where his family has been for a really long time, where he had started his business. And it just so happened there was a PT school about 15 minutes down the road. Um, So it worked perfect. But no, at that point, I kind of fully focused. Um, I had maybe I had one or two horses pass through young horses. um, But I really just focused almost full time on school for those three years of grad school. Okay. Okay. So then you get out of grad school and then what? Yeah. So I got out of grad school during grad school. I had kind of like in the back of my mind, the vision that I had from my experience, that kind of transformative athletic experience, um, and deciding I wanted to go down the route of physical therapy was I would love to be able to, um, do something different, like be in a model where we really get to help people view themselves as athletes, whether they're, you know, an equestrian, whether they're, uh, a parent, whether they're a grandparent, like if you have a body, you're an athlete type of a thing. And I realized quickly in grad school that I wasn't really made for the traditional, like medical system model, sit inside the office, be there all day. I wanted to get out. I wanted to be able to do more. I wanted to see people more proactively. 
And so I was fortunate to find a company, Proactivity, who um, did just that. They're, they're uh, a lot of physical therapists on the team, but they're really about like going where the people are, going out in the community, integrating into the school systems, um, doing fitness and personal training and group training in addition to physical therapy and talking about mindset, talking about nice. nutrition. Yeah. Um, and so I went, moved at this time I had, you know, moved to North Carolina. I moved back to New Jersey for six months after just getting married. My husband still being in North Carolina, moved back to New Jersey to, um, do sort of a pseudo internship or apprenticeship at proactivity, learn the way, and then move back home to North Carolina to start proactivity, North Carolina. Cool. So, so then how did you get to ECFIT from? Yeah. So, um, when I moved back, I was pretty much, uh, doing, you know, like most startup businesses, like doing literally whatever it took to get by. So I'd, you know, work on my business during the day. And then on nights and weekends, I'd go work at a skilled nursing facility just to be able to make income. Um, and it was, I started my formally started my business in August of 2018. This was kind of proactivity, North Carolina. And, um, I got this idea that, I thought that, you know, we, we put, um, the all American quarter horse Congress, big show that goes on in Columbus, Ohio, every, um, October, we put it on this pedestal is like the pinnacle of, uh, our, you know, our quarter horse world. And it always frustrated me that it's, you know, supposed to be the most important show for us of the year in many cases. And yet we go there, we're there for a month. We don't sleep. We eat like garbage. We don't exercise. Our horses are in terrible conditions. Like it's the total opposite of an environment for optimal performance. So I had this harebrained idea that I was going to pack up all of the, you know, my gym equipment and PT equipment in the back of my Kia Soul, drive it to the Congress, <laughs> run a space and run like a little PT clinic slash gym out of uh, a space that I rented at the show facility with this idea of like, can we create an environment where even if it's 30 minutes a day, people can come and stay in their exercise routine. Yeah. And, and like help keep the trainers piece together for the month as their bodies falling apart. So, um, yeah, it was as their, as their bodies falling apart. I was just at the IEA and the IHSA nationals walking on cement. So for them, it's for a month. I can't even imagine. It's, it's insane. I mean, people leave like we joke about leaving with the Congress crud and we're so like have upper respiratory tract infections, but you know, it's, it, it, um, yet we expect ourselves to perform at our best. So I said, this is crazy. I got this harebrained idea that I was going to kind of bring my setup to the Congress and try to offer a different way for people that wanted it. And, um, and it was a blast. Like we've got, you know, picture. And at this point I really didn't have any vision beyond that. I was just like, I want to see if this whole idea works, you know? And so I've got, you know, pictures and videos of, uh, the space that I transformed from like a annex basically into a workout facility. And we've got videos and pictures of people working out. Um, there's, there's video, tons of pictures and videos of me with my PT table, like hoofing it all across the fairground <laughs> to go to different stalls and set up shops so that we can work on people and just uh, help people to have that athlete experience, right. That other sports it's customary yeah. for other sports to have an athletic trainer, a physical therapist, what have you on the sidelines to help them perform their best. So, right. um, 
that's where it started. It was kind of a harebrained idea. And then um, some of my mentors and my business partners were like, you know, this, maybe this could really be a viable aspect of your business. It's brilliant. It is not (laughs) harebrained. And just to explain to our listeners, talk about what the Quarter Horse Congress is, how many horses, how many people, and for how long. It is, it is incredible. Yeah, it's insane. Um, I would have to look up the statistics to give you an accurate representation, probably. But um, it's a month long. It's in uh, Columbus, Ohio. It's I think the it's the largest single breed horse show in the world. Um, It's on the top. It's in the top trade shows, like largest trade shows in the world. So there's this month long horse show. Um, Most of the classes have upwards of 100, 150 entries. Um, Many of them do. and absolutely huge. I can't even give like a good guesstimate of how many just exhibitors there are. Um, but on top of that, there's also like a three annex or a gigantic trade show going on, like a fair in the middle. So there's spectators. It is like no other experience. And you don't leave for like a whole month. You're just there. Okay. I just Googled it while you were talking. Yeah. Yeah. Boasting more than 23,000 entries and housing nearly nearly 6,000 registered quarter horses during its three-week duration. I cannot even, I've never been, I need to go. It's wild. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's really cool. And it's kind of this like mystical thing in our world that it's so difficult to prepare for because it is such a marathon event and the conditions are tough. But, you know, then when you do well, you do have this sort of badge of honor. Like I've really earned it. Yeah. Okay. So Um, you come, you come home with your now brilliant idea (laughs) um, from the Congress and then what? And so then, um, at this time, I, I still didn't have a horse of my own. So, and I wanted to go to shows with my husband and my business was still kind of being built. So I had a lot of flexibility. So, um, it kind of just became a thing. Like every horse show we'd go to, I'd pack up my little, you know, I'd pack up my little set of equipment that I needed. And, um, I would, you know, get to watch my husband show and then get to still work and be building my business at the same time. So in the early days, it really was a lot of, on site, you know, trying to bring that game day experience on site to horse shows. Well, then COVID happened and that was having some success and I was having fun. Um, but then COVID happened, right. And everything kind of shut down in terms of going to horse shows. And, um, I thought like, man, this, yes, this is a horrible thing that we're going through, but it also is an opportunity for us to really bolster, um, you know, to give ourselves a break, to give our horses a break, to maybe put in some homework that we haven't had the opportunity to do, to, to do because we've just been bouncing from show to show. And um, of course, everything became much more virtually accessible, right? Everything became virtual. So I sort of um, redirected in a, in a way that was near and dear to my heart from my experience in college of focusing more on um, how can we create a community? How can we create that team feel that we get in collegiate equestrian that I think is really cool? Um, how do we, you know, encourage fitness and health and well-being in a way that improves performance even in this period? And so that's where really the the model shifted more towards virtual services, virtual fitness, virtual group fitness, kind of creating a team-based community um, that has elements of independent exercise as well as um, group-based exercise and, and tailored custom exercises to a rider based on 
video that they send and then an evaluation that they would go through through Zoom. Um, video that so, they send of what? Of them riding or doing exercises? Yeah, so them on their horse. So it the in this whole kind of process, we um, there's a trainer, Melissa Jones, in the quarter horse world who, um, you know, was just very intrigued by my philosophy of, and what I was doing at the shows. And she said, could you, I told her this idea I had about developing an assessment, being able to watch a rider with their trainer, the trainer saying, I'm constantly queuing them for this. I can't get them to put their heels down. They're constantly crooked, twisted to the right. Um, and wouldn't it be cool to be able to then take them off the horse, evaluate some things out, use our PT skills to figure out where is this deficit coming from, and then be able to program exercise, uh, to that. So, um, that developed into kind of its whole own, I guess, line, I guess, of service where, um, you either send a video, rewatch you in real time. If we're at a show together, identify some of the things you're struggling with in the saddle, and then be able to, to either in person or on zoom through a video, take people through tests to figure out, all right, is this weakness? Is this, uh, you know, flexibility limitation, mobility limitation, is it motor control? And then from there, be able to say, all right, these are the exercises that need to be implemented to fix it. So it's sort of been a, um, it really was a harebrained idea at the beginning. That's, that's the funny thing. And it's just evolved and evolved and people giving input and people asking for something else and listening to the community that sort of grew. Um, and now it's become just such a fun part of my business um, wow. that, that lets me express my passion, which is really just uh, fighting for the narrative that we are athletes and we deserve to be treated and respected as such. And that starts with us doing that for ourselves and then the rest of the world will follow. And they have, you know, I think just from the time I was in high school to now, I think our, the, the acceptance that equestrian is a sport um, feels vastly different to me. Oh, I know. I coached Dartmouth for 30 years and people would say, well, they aren't doing anything. The horse is doing all the work. Well, you come to one of my practices and a, you try it and B look at them sweating. Yes. We, several occasions we, um, in school would have the football players out or have the baseball players out to try. And it was the best day ever because the looks on their faces when they're like, you know, actually on the horse and actually have to make it do something and they can't make it do anything was, was a, was a very cool, um, moment. Right. So, so ECFIT is personally tailored exercise programs for equestrian athletes. Does that sum it up? Yeah. So, um, it's definitely personally tailored. We also have a group component because there's sort of, um, a fine line between it, there's definitely something value about having a custom program for you as the individual, you're going to get something super tailored, but for a lot of people, it's really hard to stay, um, committed, stay consistent. If you don't have that accountability and that team atmosphere. So we also kind of have another aspect that is more group-based. It's all exercises that are programmed specifically for the majority of the deficits that we find in equestrian athletes, um, but delivered in more of a group format. So it's uh, live weekly workouts. We all get on, do the workout together. We're giving you live instruction with our coaches. And then you have programmed workouts that are in um, an app, like, you know, many other kind of fitness programs that you complete independently throughout the week. So that is less specifically tailored to the individual. 
Um, but it does create a little more sense of team camaraderie and, and we have a lot of fun with it. So different athletes just have different needs and different, um, goals, I guess. And we just kind of find what is the balance that works best for them. And how does it work? I heard about you from Adam, the coach at Albion. So how does it work when a, when a, uh, college program contacts you? Yeah, great, great question. So it started um, with Middle Tennessee State University. Um, I grew up in AQHA with Ariel and we uh, did a lot of the like leadership stuff together through AQHA um, as youth. And so she had, she kind of had been following some of my stuff on social media about what I was doing. And, and she reached out and said, Hey, um, I really think that our team, you know, we don't have anything formal in terms of exercise. It's something she had experienced when, um, when she had made a transition from the NCEA to an IHSA team that she was like, Hey, yeah, I felt like what we did really wasn't super beneficial because we had strength and conditioning coaches that didn't understand us, but I get the principle that exercise is really important for our athletes. Could you build us something? Um, and so that's where it started. And we just started putting together weekly pre-recorded workouts for their team, um, that they would then get together as a team, play the recording, do the workout together. And so, um, we've done that, that now, I think this is our third year with MTSU, um, and Adam and the Albion college equestrian team started this past year. So it's very similar format. We kind of, um, program out cycles based on when they need to peak in their season, um, and then pre-record the video and, uh, send it over on a weekly basis. It all gets uploaded to their own private site that has a lot of different mobility resources, supplemental workouts, things like that. Oh, no more DVDs. (laughs) No more DVDs. Maybe we got to bring the DVD back. (laughs) (laughs) Which is good. Good. Because you'd have to mail it to them and who knows if they would get it. (laughs) Yeah. That would be such a nightmare. (laughs) So much easier now. This is I can, you know, have yeah. it up on a, in a playlist in like 10 yeah. seconds. So colleges or groups, even barns could contact sure. you and, and you have pricing for this type of specialized, uh, workout program. That's cool. Yeah. 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 It's, cool. it's, it's been really fun. It's like I said, it's sort of just been my passion project that, um, that I've worked on, on the side of, you know, my, my full-time job. Um, but it's really grown into this really cool part of my business. And it's allowed other, you know, me to meet a lot of other people. And, um, I have a partner who is, um, a rainer actually her name's Stephanie Gentili. Her husband's also a horse trainer. And so, um, she's now my partner in crime and, and, uh, it's, it's really brought us to meet a lot of amazing people. And I think create a community that we're proud of people that are, you know, want to do better for themselves, for their horse, um, for their trainers, for their support community. Um, but at the end of the day, the, the skills and the things that we're working on to help them in the saddle, I think, um, really help outside of the saddle too. Well, talk for a minute about why, uh, if just the, you know, average rider is listening to the podcast, why is it important for them to be fit on their horse? Yeah. So I think there's, um, several reasons. The one obvious is that if we're fit, if we're, if our, um, trainer or instructor is telling us that they want us to do something and we don't have either the, um, 
fundamental strength or mobility or control to, to actually sequence or do that movement like we need to out of the saddle, take away the horse, we'll never be able to do it in the saddle, right? So if we're constantly getting cued to pull our shoulders back, if we don't have, um, take the horse away, and if we can't do that motion consistently with relative ease off the horse, then when we get in the saddle and have a million other things to think about, we'll just never be able to do it. So there's definitely the physical benefit side, the stronger we are, the more in control of our body, the more balanced, the better, uh, the more improved mobility, the more symmetry. That's a lot of what we work on in our riders. Um, then you're just going to be a much more effective rider and, um, you'll be able to make progress and actually be able to kind of do the things that you want to do, or that your instructor wants you to do in the saddle without fighting your own body and your own physiology. But I think the other piece that's maybe a little less tangible, but we certainly, um, see it a lot. And sometimes I think is more powerful than the physical benefits. in some of our athletes is the way we carry ourselves, the way that when we push ourselves to do something that's physically hard consistently and overcome it, what that does to our mental state that like, I was able to do that hard thing. I overcame it. Um, and that shows up when we step in the ring and we, you know, that first impression when they look at us and they say, wow, that person looks strong. Um, and it carries out in our mentality too, when we're riding. So I think there's definitely the physical benefit and, um, that's what most people come for but the mental benefit and that mental game aspect of feeling like an athlete, knowing that your body is strong and capable and how that changes kind of our outward expression of confidence and our belief in ourself, I think is, is another secondary benefit. Right. Yeah. That that's one of the, um, my top 10 coaching tips in my athletic equestrian book is, Love it. uh, ride it, show attention all the time. Yeah. Right. Love it. That way you're always ready. And that way you don't end up slumping in the show ring where it really counts. Mm -hmm. And so that totally goes along with that for sure. Makes so, so much sense. So much sense. Yeah. So, um, talk a little bit, uh, for our final few minutes here, what you like to do besides, do you still ride for one, but also what you like to do besides, uh, work? Yeah. So, I do ride, um, in the past year and a half, almost two years now. Um, oh, your husband's a trainer. So yeah, he's a trainer. Uh, so I can't get too far away from it, but I finally got a horse back into having a horse of my own. Okay. So I have uh, now he's five. We got him as a three-year-old. And so we kind of went through the process of putting him through the rope. So that, that has been really fun. So I love to ride. Um, that is like my, my ultimate sanity, obviously love to exercise, um, so that's a big passion of mine as well. And then really, um, I, uh, I'm Italian, so I'm an Italian from New Jersey. So family time and spending time with my family and my loved ones and my friends is really important to me. So any spare time outside of working, you know, exercise and riding is, is most likely spent with my family or friends, um, just enjoying time with them. Got it. Well, thank you, Alice. Thanks so much for talking about you and your journey and also talking about ECFIT. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for having me and appreciate the message that you're sharing. I think it's super important. And um, that narrative is very valuable for, I think, young and up and coming riders and also those of us that have been around and doing it for a while. So appreciate you. Tell everyone how they can find you. Sure. Yeah. So, um, 
we're uh, proactivity EQ fit on uh, Instagram, social media, Facebook, and then um, proactivity.com slash EQ fit. It's the best way to find us. Thank you for listening to the athletic equestrian podcast. If you'd like more information on this podcast or any of our other podcasts, you can contact me at athleticequestrian at gmail.com. This podcast was produced by Jack Boyata, and the music is by Kitcher. Kitcher.